Good afternoon and welcome to We Rise here on 89.3 FM KPFB. This show is written, produced, and is recorded in occupied Ohlone territory known as Huchin, known to most settlers as Berkeley, California. I'm your host, Kat Petru, and on today's show, we bring you a rebroadcast from KPFA's Women's Magazine, a show I produced with fellow graduate KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship member Teresa Adams. The show is a celebration and an inquiry into Women's History Month and features a conversation with two women who are birth workers or doulas. We explore birth work as a site of healing, empowerment, and transformation. Without further ado, we rise. Feminist women. Mulheres feministas. Zanone feminist. Banyu vachikonzero chevakadzi. Nessa. Mujeres feministas. Yan femini. Un femactivi. Nari mukti. Matapang na babae. Kechimai ka ishk. Welcome to Women's Magazine on 94.1 KPFA. We are here today in the studio celebrating Women's History Month. I am your guest host for today, Teresa Adams, and I am in the studio with... I'm your other guest host, Kat Petru. Thank you so much to Lisa Detmer and to Kate Raphael for inviting us to host this special show for Women's History Month. Yes. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Kate. You'll hear a little bit from Kate later on in the show. Kat was here in the studio with two fabulous women who talked about something that we can all relate to, and that is birth. That's right. I had two guests come in who are both doulas, and we talked about we talked about birth work as a site of healing, as it relates to both the profoundly intimate and personal, and also the systemic and the political. And also, Teresa and I will be sharing with you all clips of our fellow women in media. And so we're weaving together the voices of women in many roles, seeking to create space for women's empowerment and visibility and audibility. That's a great way to put it, Kat. I like that. And we did something very similar to this on our apprenticeship show. That's right. We honored the Women of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. A little shout out. You can still apply for the program. Applications are due March 30th. Go to kpfaapprentice.org for more information. Yes. So we thought since it works so well on that show, why not try it here on the Women's Magazine show? So you'll hear from some amazing women who have been in media for a very long time. To begin with, let's talk about Women's History Month. It comes around once a year. It's in March. What does this month mean to you, Teresa? Well, the two things that you said that came to mind for me are the fact that you said it comes once a year and it's in the month of March. And in my mind, it's here every month in the 12 months of the year. Right. And it's something that we should celebrate as women all the time. And it's amazing to have that opportunity here at a station like KPFA where we have a great deal of women programmers. That's right. Who you hear on shows like this women's magazine and who seek to give information that does empower and educate women. There are also many women here at KPFA whose voices you won't hear because they're engineering behind the scenes. Whoop whoop for the engineers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you going to say anything else about women's history month and what it means to you? Um, I just think it's an amazing time for us to let women in our lives shine, even though that's something we should do all the time, but it's something we direct our focus to and we appreciate it. And that's what we're trying to do with this show today. Yeah. I think I mentioned this actually in the interview with the two doulas, um, just like Black History Month. If you identify as black, if you identify as a woman, it's absurd that there would be one month to celebrate a strand of your identity. It's 24 seven, 365 days of the year. Um, I would say I started to learn about feminism within the last five years, perhaps more explicitly. Mm -hmm. And I can self-identify as a feminist at this point for sure. And it's a practice every day of understanding more and more what it means to me to be a woman, this practice of self-determination. And also um, personally, uh, someone who identifies as queer and who has loved ones within multiple queer communities, it's really important for me to 
challenge the binary, the gender binary. And so while I simultaneously revere myself as a woman or strive to revere myself as a woman, and some days it's much harder than others, I also question who told me what a woman is supposed to be and why, and can we make space for countless expressions of gender? And that's absolutely the truth. There are so many definitions of women that we see in magazines, on the television, from that we hear about from our friends and our family. And we all have to, just like you just said, find out what being a feminist, being a woman, what that identity means to each of us individually. And that is, again, I have to say a great um, reason why we have shows like this, because we have women who have a variety of voices and a variety of messages and experiences that they can bring to people and help educate. And I think as media makers and as women media makers, especially education is critical in what we're doing. There's so much media that is white noise that is to sell you something. And um, in the interview with these two doulas, they both speak to the power of intuition, something that for many of us um, has been lost and is there's a process of reclaiming or finding again that deep inner knowing of intuition. And as a media maker, there's such a bombardment of information. Mm-hmm. I don't want to add to the noise. I only want to offer tools that help us all make more sense of our world and come to a deeper sense of inner knowing. Does that make sense? It does. And I think the other thing that we need to remember as media makers, and I pride myself on being a journalist, is that sometimes we have to just give the information and then step away from the story and not insert ourselves in that or give our opinion of what we think that that message should be. Just provide the information give all the options and let people decide what that means to them. Give people the voices that we say we want them to have. And Teresa is not only a graduate apprentice, but she's also a graduate of UC Berkeley's School of Journalism. So give it up for Teresa Adams, everybody. Oh, thank you, Kat. That's so nice of you. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) So we've talked a lot about the women who are going to be on this show. So now Kat is going to tell us about both wonderful ladies. I am. And before I do, I wanted to say that oddly enough, the night before our interview, I had a dream that I was pregnant. I've never been pregnant and I don't, it's not a recurring dream. And it was really interesting. And the experience of the dream left me with this imprint of feeling both this reverence of being perceived as pregnant, like everyone is treating me with more respect, with fragility, but not in a negative way. Um, But then also, I woke up wondering about the way in which pregnant women are also disempowered. Um, So I, it was really interesting. And it felt really meaningful to have this dream about being pregnant, and then go in and interview these two doulas. Those unspoken messages we hear about. So without further ado, let me introduce these two incredible women. Eri Guajardo Johnson is a Midwest-born biracial Latina who is devoted to cultivating empowerment, resilience, and sustainable self-care practices for her clients and community. Her commitment to this work began when she moved to the Bay. In 2008, she started deepening her spiritual practice and began working for San Francisco Women Against Rape, or SF War, a woman of color-led rape crisis center that is the primary provider and only community-based rape crisis center in San Francisco. Ten years later, she continues to live here in the Bay and is a practicing birth doula, wellness worker, and community organizer. She recently launched the Birth Bruja podcast, a space dedicated to the radical exploration of birth work in all its nuances, including topics such as race, identity, reclamation of ancestral traditions, and beyond. Megan Chadwick is a birth and postpartum doula, proudly serving the San Francisco Bay Area. She believes birth work to be both an honor and privilege in the myriad ways it offers personal discovery, growth, and deep connection between partners, birth teams, and the greater community. Megan hopes to certify as a childbirth educator and prenatal massage therapist and is committed to social justice within birth work, beginning with advocacy and support for pregnant incarcerated people. Let's welcome Kat and both ladies to the show. Thank you both so much for being here today. This show is about Women's History Month, 
And of course, I brought you both specifically in to talk about birth work. Before we get more into birth work, I'd love to know what Women's History Month means to each of you. So thank you, Kat, very much for letting us be here. This is phenomenal, and we love this conversation. Uh, So for me, Women's History Month is an opportunity for us as a society to practice critical thinking, Uh, meaning looking back and seeing all the ways in which historically some voices have been valued and other voices have been devalued, and particularly in this present time, in this present uh, political climate, I think it's more important than ever for us to see the ways in which, um, again, culturally and institutionally, some some folks are put in positions of power while other folks intentionally are disempowered. Um, and in the context of birth work, uh, it's pretty interesting to see, at least for me, and preposterous to see how we continue to be in a to live in an era where women's opinions, women's bodies are devalued, are are dismissed in many ways. So I think it's really, really juicy time to be thinking about Women's History Month. Yeah, and thank you also, Kat, for having us on today. I think for me, it is interconnected to why I treasure birth work, and that's. Um, Women's History Month brings up for me the wisdom that we carry with us intergenerationally and otherwise and gives us a moment to be able to celebrate and highlight that, that if we find ways back through community or through just focusing um, extra time and energy on ourselves, that we have that wisdom and and answers to a lot of the kind of bigger questions that seem like they're up for a debate, um, but actually they're instinctually known to us. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, really important to recognize women as the experts of their own worth and determination and... And bodies, maybe? And bodies and health. And yeah, that's my short answer. Thank you. I know it's a giant question. (laughs) So there are a lot of misconceptions about the distinction between OBGYNs, midwives, and doulas. You're both doulas. What is your role in a birth? So before we answer that question, let's look at the, the, the term doula. So my understanding is that doula is a Greek word that means female servant. So as it's difficult for me to hold how such a powerful role is given such a inherently disempowering name. So maybe that's part of our work is to redefine a way to call ourselves. Um, and then also to look at it historically and culturally, uh, the roles of doulas were primarily done by by family, by friends, community, folks who either experienced birth themselves or folks who were um, wanting to support the birth experience of others. It wasn't something that was a top-down process where you, know, you needed certification and there were experts that knew more than you. It was a collective upbringing around the birth experience. And nowadays, there's a professionalization of it, which means uh, that there's many different doula trainings in different kinds, like there's birth doulas, postpartum doulas, etc. Um, but typically speaking, birth doulas uh, go through trainings that touch upon the medicalization of birth, just in terms of the basic information of what happens at a hospital birth, as well as uh, basic training around the holisticness of birth. It's a mind, body, spirit experience. So what does that mean to hold space for someone else? When we're in the birth room itself, uh, we provide, a, again, right, basic information if it's in the medical fields or not. So a lot of times we translate, shall we say, between what medical staff says or what the midwife may say for the client so that they can understand it easier. Um, we also provide body support, so hydration, nourishment, movement that's crucial in in encouraging the, the laboring process. Um, and there's so much we could do. I don't know, Megan, what, what, <laughs> what are the spotlights? Yeah, I, I think of um, doula work as kind of the wearer of many hats in that we kind of act as an advocate and a friend and a cheerleader, a facilitator, but really we are trained around the physiology of birth and then also the emotional and mental experiences that come up. And we help 
support birthing people and their partners because birth in our society specifically, I think the reason that doulas, especially, of, of course, in the Bay Area and California and in the coastal regions have become um, more well-known, uh, still only about 5% of birthing people have doulas. And it's really to bring back the conversation about maternal health and wellness and infant health and that pregnancy and birth really sets the stage for how we look at society in a larger way. Um, the framework for how we treat women who are literally giving our society more life is crucial in every step of the way. And so we start at that origin point by just helping to bolster folks in this process. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One horrifying thing I heard recently on the news was something about in Alameda County, the number of women, pregnant women who are forced into solitary confinement within the prison system who give birth in solitary confinement. So mm -hmm. if we're living in a society that treats our birthing women that way, then we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I was just going to say, actually piggybacking on, on what y'all just had mentioned, I was born and raised in the Midwest, and that's one of the, the things that I continue to talk about with my family and friends back there, is that the concept of having a doula at a birth is not, it shouldn't be a luxury. It shouldn't be a radical notion. What it is, is, a, is inherent valuing of the, that family's experience of birth, right? Because it's not just A plus B equals C, right? For folks who have ever well-intended said to someone, well, at least baby is, is healthy, you know, in response to someone sharing a struggle of their birth experience. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, that's really well-intended. And of course, we do want babies and mamas to be healthy. But guess what? There's more to that. We want it, and if possible, right? We want an empowering experience that sets the stage for a, a bonding between mom and baby and to help set the tone for the parents to begin their their parenthood. You know, it's much more than just a physical process. It's right. a profound opportunity for connection that really sets the stage for life to come. Right. And if you have a mama who is confident and empowered and feels autonomous and has agency and the likelihood is higher that she can feel those things as a new parent. And if it's a, the opposite way, then you're going to have someone who is more prone to postpartum depression and yes. anxiety and PTSD, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's, that's where for me, the doula work is everything is um, that there is preparation that goes into birth and delivery because there's preparation that goes into being a parent and it's, it's partial preparation and support and, being given permission to listen to your intuition. Yeah. Well, we're going to spend a lot more time digging into the ways in which birth work challenges systemic oppression, let's say, and and is a profound site of healing, not just for the mom and the baby, but for everyone involved. But before we do that, I'd really love to hear from both of you, what led you to birth work? My path to birth work really started many, many years ago when I began babysitting. And I always, through the years, kind of found myself back in the child care role in many, many different ways. And, you know, partially I kind of blamed that on the fact that I didn't have skill sets that were making me money outside of child care. Which is also not neutral. Like, since when has childcare been so undervalued? Exactly. Right. Or seen as a not professional. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think points over the years uh, where I felt in a society that, you know, was evolving in the way of tech and computer technology, which are not my strong suits, when I learned about what being a doula was and I kind of investigated it's like this all of the sparks went off in me and I thought oh what would be known as soft skills are actually paramount they're everything in this work and this work is so essential and I, I had no choice but to run with it and birth and maternal health is one of those things for me that there's always more to know and always more to learn because every 
birth and every pregnancy is as complex as the person who is carrying that child. And that is, will forever be fascinating. And knowing Megan a bit, I just want to say like some of these soft skills she speaks of include being incredibly sensitive and emotionally perceptive. And so all these people skills, if you will, that are typically not quantifiable and not seen as like the skills you list on a resume. And she's full of them and they're necessary in birth work. And so that's part of what you mean, right? Yes. Thank you for giving me the words. Uh, For me, similarly, it was a spark. When I went through the birth training, uh, my intention was to just simply inform myself more around the logistics of birth so that I could better serve my students in yoga class. I was doing wellness work predominantly with women who were also survivors of violence. And as um, older I got, the older the folks I worked with tend to be as well. So it was more of just an informational thing. And then being in that training and seeing all the threads that come into the birth experience I've worked for a while now with San Francisco Women Against Rape, so working with survivors of rape and sexual assault and coming at it from an anti-oppression perspective. So approaching healing from an intersectional way where identity plays a role. And, And there's a lot of richness and a lot of intensity around that. So going through birth, to through the birth doula training to see all the ways in which advocacy came in, um, uh, ancestral work, plant medicine, uh, just basic uh, anatomy of the of the human body. All of those things are alive and rich. And just as Megan said, it's there's an infinite amount of learning to be done, an infinite amount of reverence and study. And so thus, I hope to be a fabulous elder one day still doing this work. Absolutely. One, two. Uh, yeah. Body hurting, seem the world still turning. A witch that wouldn't burn to be brown and to be woman. To be permanently stuck in the skin of a sinner. Like bitter cinnamon and broken mahogany splinters. My role is holy and my mother is too. Is it because I'm magic that my veins are not blue? Sisters and hoes know the woes is the same If you, you found me slain, would you still say my name? See, I know about the black man and what he been through What if I sung about the woman that he brought it home to? I've been crying for my brothers, but I cry for me too Cause I'm the only one left to be more powerless than you Even though it was she who taught the sun to get melodical I'm plenty blended, but don't call me exotical Like I was half black and half beautiful it's so methodical, I find it diabolical All encrypted in the code, it's biological You strip the pride that is rising in my follicles But these curves are not a caricature For your capitalizing, now decolonize me Has the west in the metropolis, yes Down the money, Mississippi, all the way to the west I feel my back is breaking and the yank in my chest The fruit is getting stranger and the streets never rest But this is for you Sarah Bartman, you were art to these marksmen Show you in the town square, put you up to fight And with your wildest cries, I identify See, I've been on display like items for their eyes And I try to board a midnight train I said I have no money, but I have a lot of pain All I wanted was to leave my father's house, make it out But every time I sing, they remind me of the stain And I wonder, who's gonna know, who's gonna hold her The last are left out, lost and looked over The songs of Sam only rain on some in this man's world, the change gon' come, come. You're listening to a special edition of Women's Magazine here on KPFA 94.1. I'm one of your co-hosts for today, Teresa Adams. You just heard for Sarah Bartman by Nitty Scott. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we're honoring Women's History Month. And part of our salute includes asking women at KPFA why they're doing this work and why they stay in media. Interestingly, Aries' use of the term elder in her comments to Kat made me think about Nina Serrano. She's one of our longtime KPFA programmers. 
And you can hear her on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. on La Raza Chronicles. Here's what Nina had to say about her role in media. Hello, this is Nina Serrano. 1961 was the first time I ever heard Free Speech Radio KPFA. I wanted to be part of it. I began producing drama and literature shows, expanding over the years to children's programming, public affairs, and experiments with radio drama. In the 1970s, I joined a Latino media collective, Comunicación Atzlan, producing bilingual Latino cultural affairs shows like Reflexiones de la Raza. By the mid-1980s, I worked with a marvelous production team, creating Freedom is a Constant Struggle for over eight years. By the 21st century, I joined the La Raza Chronicles production team and the Open Book production team, which I enjoy immensely and hope you do too. Free Speech Radio, after all these years, is still a joy. Nina says her work is a joy. And for us, having her here at the studio is a joy. Now, let's get back to Kat and her guests and their discussion about birth work. So as I said, we're here to talk about birth work in just the tip of the iceberg in all of its nuances and all of the ways that it affects us all, whether you're a cis woman giving birth or not. So just to scratch that tip of the iceberg. It's a longtime feminist understanding that the personal is political. We know that childbirth is an extremely intimate experience and it's also political. Can you both speak to that just a little bit? Big question. Yeah. Uh, so to start to start off, I would say that if we were to examine birth practices and statistics in our country alone, we, it would reveal the nuances of oppression and all the ways in which historically marginalized communities are disadvantaged. So that being said, right, starting out with the macro um, and then to go into more uh, micro or individual perspective, I think for for many birthing people, simply sharing with friends and community their preference for a home birth or their preference for an epidural as soon as you get into the, you know, the hospital room. Either way, there's oftentimes huge backlash because there's, there's a valuing or a devaluing. The personal is political, right? So even though you're doing it for yourself, it also simultaneously has context in the larger way. That being said, there's a lot of power in people being connected with the earth and with their bodies. And I think it can be harmful for folks to romanticize this earth goddess sort of uh, archetype where if we're anything but unmedicated in our birth, then somehow we're weak or we lost. No matter what the birth experience is, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be the unknown. There's going to be mental, emotional, and physical challenges. And simultaneously, there's going to be courage whether you thought you had it or not, whether you approach the experience with tremendous fear, you may still have that fear, but you have this chance to connect with something bigger than that fear. And that's, I think, that powerful, holistic piece about birth that simultaneously makes it very personal and political and that it empowers the legacy of all the birthing folk before us and it also empowers those who birth after us. Yeah, it's a it's a really big question, but I I kind of think of it um, in relation. Uh, my husband was an ER nurse actually at Highland for a few years, and he and I went to a talk together toward the beginning of my doula journey, and it was a talk about incarcerated women and their pregnancy and how prison has kind of become this quote unquote safety net for mm-hmm. pregnant women because that's when they'll get the best um, prenatal health support, et cetera. Um, this is from the, the perspective of a medical anthropologist who worked in, in jails and prisons around the Bay Area and, and saw that women felt like they were getting that support. But once they got to the hospital, many or most are shackled to the bed. So this conversation literally shackled to the bed literally shackled to the bed during because oh because they were incarcerated right so they had to keep their handcuffs on right 
And oh. this is, again, for another conversation. But I mm. guess the point is, I was sitting there as a doula. My husband was an ER nurse who also is pursuing law degree. And we were sitting there, and I it really very tangibly occurred to me that maternal health and pregnancy and birth is at the intersection of all of these vast social structures in our society and that the disparities that marginalize folks based on class and race and status translate and follow them right into the birth room and uh, women of color who aren't you know, they are dehumanized in ways in the birth room um, and are not believed to have a certain level of pain and access to certain kind of prenatal or postpartum support resources, etc. All of that is hugely political and speaks to flaws in our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a massive topic, I know, and I know this is just the beginning of it. And I think the compounding intersections of our identities, I know I've heard you two speak in various contexts about the ways in which women are taught not to trust our own bodies. Yes. And so in addition to that, you've got all these other layers. And I have friends who've talked about their loved ones going into the hospital and, and just the blatant racism that they experience Absolutely. by doctors, which is unacceptable. Yeah. Absolutely. heard Sade singing Flowers of the Universe from the soundtrack for the movie A Wrinkle in Time. Before the break, Kat and her guests were discussing the lack of respect and the ongoing racism that exists in the healthcare field. Let's get back to Kat, Ari, and Megan. So just one more question on this theme and then I want to hear a bit more about the healing elements of what you've noticed. But can you give an example of one of the greatest challenges you faced so far in birth work? This might really echo what we just spoke about. I think I'm just going to jump in to kind of piggyback. Um, I think the hardest part is to be really honest with my own biases 
when people hear I'm a doula, they they ask, oh, so you only go to home births. And actually, I've only been to hospital births. And I work with a doula partner, and she recently went to a birth that was pretty intense for everyone involved. And ultimately, the mother needed a cesarean because the cord was wrapped around the baby's neck several times and would not descend in labor. You know, and that's one way that we can demonize the medical system, but then make the switch and praise them because 100 years ago, that mom and baby likely would have died. And I learned, just to jump in really quick, I learned from a friend who's in medical school that the practice of gynecology arose because they were seeing increasing, um, I think, mother and infant mortality rates. And so they were like, oh, hey, maybe since we're doing all this medical stuff for other health reasons, like we can devote some time and energy to childbirth as well. So it, it isn't a straight binary, of course. No, absolutely not. But, you know, at the same time, there are a lot of unnecessary interventions and just the nature of birth itself in an organic, natural way. The things that happen in a hospital room are kind of uh, counterintuitive to the natural processes and progression of birth. And so it's hard is holding that balance. But the truth is that most young people today who are of birthing age want some sort of middle ground and they're not necessarily I don't necessarily want clients who already know all the things about doula support I want to be able to advocate for those who need it the most and within the hospital system that means providing some sort of middle ground and so that's been hard because I see things where I can't actually step in and change the situation Um, it takes the preparation before being in the hospital room I can only help remind the person that they can ask questions and they can ask for more time. But it is hard witnessing certain things and knowing that there are so many other folks who are experiencing it. And on the other side, I'm glad that this model exists for when it's really, really needed. So it's a hard line to straddle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And yes, I think for me, there's a, a lot of struggle, but then also a lot of meaning in trying to find, as Megan said, uh, the balance. To go back historically, Kat, as you just mentioned, I think it's important to also note that the root of gynecology was during a time where slavery existed, right? Colonization, yes, context, like overt, overt dehumanization of of folks of color bodies. And simultaneously, um, a removal of women and midwives from birth space and with it, a, a, a de-stripping, I guess, for lack of a better word, of all of the meaningful practices that gave mental, emotional, physical strength, right? A, a lot of holistic care where the process of taking care of a birthing person began before conception mm-hmm. and went through well mm-hmm. after, well after birth. And so nowadays, again, and, and this doesn't place things on a hierarchy saying that, you know, totally... Uh, medical free birth is best or just like on the flip side right it's not saying that medical births are the safest and the best mm-hmm. that we there's a lot of value in both in all of it and what's important and as as Megan said earlier is that each birth each pregnancy is incredibly unique to that person in that place and time right and so therefore each birth should be presented as such right and just assuming that a woman that a birthing person's body can handle it and not just handle it, but can do it well and powerfully. And that baby is going to do well and going to birth powerfully. And then if something else comes up, then to address it then and there, not going in it like a pathology, like they're both sick and they need to be saved. Yeah, it's not a sickness. This is how life, human, a homo sapien life gets perpetuated. And you just said something that I wanted to jump on really quickly, which is you corrected yourself saying woman, I mean, birthing person. And I noticed that I said like, oh, a cis woman, assuming that a cis woman is the person giving birth. But this is really important to me as we celebrate Women's History Month and also challenge the fact that why should there be one month, just like why should there be one month of Black History Month? This is absurd (laughs) for those of us with those identities. It's every day. 
obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so be, because we're because we're t- having this conversation in that context, it's important to me to acknowledge the gender spectrum and gender expansiveness as some uh, gender educators I recently spoke with uh, named. So our language is re- it matters. And um, so perhaps it's more appropriate to say birthing person. Personally, for me, and I know a lot of people who disagree with this, and I honestly also understand and agree with them too. Uh, for me, it's both and because historically the female identity, the female body has been so persecuted. Absolutely. Uh, therefore, to me, I like to say both because both exist. And for me personally, I don't like to totally erase the concept of gender identity just in terms of, you know, I, I think that gender identity is, is for sure fluid and on a spectrum, but I personally like to say the term women um, because I think in today's context, especially there's power in identifying yeah. as a woman when, again, historically it's been disempowering and simultaneously still creating space for folks that don't identify within that context. So um, and this again, I think this touches upon what I said at the beginning about how we need as a society to practice that critical thinking of creating spaciousness, of looking at who we see most represented and who we don't. And then when we identify who don't, let's do something about it. This makes me think of how I think often people assume that conversations about gender identity or queerness are only for queer identified people. And that's absolutely untrue because we can all do to examine this more deeply. The connection with this conversation is that it's presumed that birth work is women's work when we're all, everyone is implicated in having a child and raising the child. Of course, there's one body giving birth and that's where, in part where the role of the doula comes in. But this segues exactly into where I was wanting to go, which is that, which is birth work as a site of not only individual healing, but also broader collective and even intergenerational healing. Do either of you want to speak to that, again, massive topic? I can whittle down a question if you like also. To try and make it succinct, I would say, again, doulas have the incredible, momentous opportunity to meet a couple wherever they are, um, wherever they hire us, and kind of just pick away a little bit at, you know, what is the history they're bringing into this pregnancy and into this delivery. And as you said, it's not just women's work. Many, many couples, uh, it's a cisgendered male partner who hasn't necessarily delved into a lot of the emotional work that is necessary for Mm -hmm. supporting their partner. Mm -hmm. And so much of the work that I do is, is really helping partners to connect to each other because really what what birth work comes down to is honesty. As a doula, your own honesty and trust in yourself and instincts are everything because there's no barometer for measuring a job well done as a doula. It's n- unlike any other job. It's trial by fire. Hmm. You are you're not just witnessing someone in their most vulnerable state but you are working so hard to hold space, to be a container for, for every contradictory feeling and emotion and experience. They could be angry one second and elated the next. It could be orgasmic. It could be terrifying. It could be completely empowering and transformative. You're there to hold that and then also to let it roll off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you to take care of yourself as the doula, as the birth worker. It's up to you to be even keeled, to be on a team with other folks in the birth team, whether it's a hospital or home birth or birthing center. All of that is a site of healing because it requires everyone to really dig deep. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hard and it's really, really rewarding. Yes. Yes. I'd say I echo everything you said, Megan. (laughs) Um, And also uh, to note that around the experience of birth from the very beginning till after baby comes, there are abundant opportunities for, as you mentioned, that profound healing. Because for a lot of folks, particularly folks in queer and or female bodies, the concept of viewing ourselves, this body, is something sacred, something important, something worth 
spending money on, you know, to buy organic or to buy local or to, you know, buy um, nourishing foods, something that's worthy of taking naps or, or appreciation is something in itself radically healing. Um, that's just one small example, right, that can go on and on. For me, being someone in birth work, what's been coming up constantly are the connections between uh, me right here in this moment of time and the ways in which my ancestors, particularly the, the female-bodied ancestors, um, experienced their identity as a woman. Shame is, is a word that comes up very very deeply. And within that concept of shame is that fear of violence, mm-hmm. feel of, of being violated. And then also, again, this inherent distrust that our bodies are the reason why violence is perpetuated against us or our bodies are the reason why babies don't stay with us full term, you know, or somehow emerge sick on the other end. Mm. There's a lot of shame and guilt that's wrapped up in, and I'll speak for me and my my experience, um, there's a lot of shame and guilt that's wrapped up in this body that I'm here right now. So therefore, it's healing to me to try to view myself as something sacred. And it's healing for my mother. It's healing for my grandmother. I can tell you, I don't have, I'm not able to have super candid conversations with my grandma. But me being me has brought new perspective to the family uh, that wasn't there, right? It's a, it's a disruption of harmful patterns. Mm. Uh, so, and I haven't even, we've been trying, but haven't even had a baby yet. So I'm just really, so yeah, like the potential for for healing is abundant in this work as a birthing person and as a support person in the birthing room. And as someone, I can say like, um, this just, I just thought of this, like, of course, not all women and not all people who are able to have a child do. And even for those of us who might not, it makes me think of um, like it takes a village. Maybe I won't have children. You two are currently partnered and want children. And whether I wind up with a partner or have children, I'm learning so much just by watching you two navigate this, of course, as doulas, but also as humans who mm-hmm. want to have babies. Um and yeah, I don't know. There's like a lot more to, to unpack there, but well, just it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I was going to jump in and say on a personal note, I know that you have taught me so much about being in your body mm. um, and really listening deeply mm-hmm. um, and putting priority into that because as someone with anxiety, I hold it in so many different parts of my body um, and then it becomes cyclical of not taking care of myself, it manifesting in other ways, and then not being able to heal those things. And I think, you know, as far as healing and birth, it it really comes back to the idea of, are we talking about this? Are right. we inclusive? Are we staying curious? And um, one way of doing that is taking a breath and thinking, what am I feeling in my body? How am I connected to my body? And for those people with this really, really heavy history of trauma, whether it's generational trauma or if it's lived trauma, sexual abuse, et cetera, how do we just start to get more connected to our bodies in a prideful way? And you just made me think of something. So one thing that we'll be speaking to on the show, in addition to birth work, is the role of women in media, because that's what Teresa and I are doing at the moment. And I think it's hard pressed to find someone who hasn't experienced some kind of trauma or doesn't have some kind of intergenerational trauma, whether they recognize it or not. But I would argue as a woman in America, just to keep it within the United States context, if you watch TV, if you read a magazine, you're subject to violence, whether it's portrayals of rape culture or portrayals of literally impossibly thin women. I know for so many of us, the trauma starts young by shaming how our bodies look. And then that shame and that those thoughts, those images translate into behaviors. And then um, we've mentioned how birth can bring up so much because you're asked to bring your healthiest self to the table no matter who you are, but especially as the person giving birth. And that asks us to examine how we 
inhabit our bodies, if we're able to inhabit our bodies. I'm reading this incredible book by Stacey Haynes, who does work um, on healing sexual trauma. And she just talks about how one of the steps to healing is being able to live in your body, which might sound strange to many people and might really resonate for others because of the legacy of violence and violence against women in particular. So, of course, birth work is political. Of course, it has the capacity to be tremendously healing. And I think I wanted to say this is why I'm one of the reasons I'm so grateful to you both for having this conversation and why we're centering it in the midst of Women's History Month on Women's Magazine because it opens up this deep seed of a site of transformation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for acknowledging all of that. Uh, I think you you touch upon something that a lot of, of birthing folks experience and oftentimes don't feel comfortable to say, which is that sometimes the process before and after, right, of having a baby can just suck, right? As you mentioned, especially if you have um, experience of violence that are deeply woven that you're not able to address right now or you're, n- or you're still actively processing, um, sometimes it's all you can do to not self-harm yeah. in, in trying to grow a life. Or it's all you can do to, to drink a glass of water when you don't really want to, but you know it's good for a baby. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, that birth is not supposed to be this shiny, perfect thing where we all emerge on the other end glowing and, you know, right? like All those Instagram photos that are simultaneously empowering and also can be confusing <laughs> exactly, right. if you don't feel shiny all the time. Yeah, and right. I, I also want to speak to people who struggle um, during prenatal and postpartum era is that it can be struggle and it can also still be meaningful. You don't have to be happy for something to be meaningful. You don't have to logically feel satisfied with the birth experience for it to still be an empowering and meaningful experience for you. So not to mention the decades of life, ideally, hopefully that your child will have. Right. Coming out of the birth experience. Mm -hmm. There's this whole other world that we haven't spoken quite as specifically to, Mm -hmm. but. Is there anything that I haven't asked that either of you want to speak to? Just uh, one thing I would like to mention is that um, in the Bay, uh, the talk around birth support, postpartum or birth doula work in itself is something that's often associated with uh, rich folk, with white folk, with hippy dippy folk. And I just want to acknowledge that birth work, uh, birth support and postpartum support is for everyone. And sometimes it comes in the form of a professional person who has a business card. And other times it comes in the form of a best friend who shows up with a pot of soup or it comes from a a grandma who insists on giving you some smelly herbal tea, you know, that's really nourishing (laughs) to -hmm. your body. Mm -hmm. Um, So regardless of of the way it comes, I just want folks to know that it's there and it's our it's our right. We deserve to feel supported in a multitude of ways. And even though it may be difficult to please reach out, to mm-hmm. please reach out to strangers if you don't have anyone in your life right now that you'd feel comfortable or similarly give the folks around you a chance to show up. Just ask. Mm-hmm. The immensely beautiful thing to me that um, is will always be true about uh, birth work is the community and that reaching out to each other and learning from each other is essential. And that goes with supporting each other, referring each other services, finding resources. That is literally our job. And the Bay Area specifically is a wealth of resources. So I would embolden you if you can't afford a doula or you know someone who can't afford a doula or you you think that they can't, always remember there's an abundance of resources out there. And I hope, I would hope that most doulas would give you a referral for someone who does pro bono because it exists. Yes. Um, it exists all over the Bay. Um, I would say most doulas have some resource for free birth or heavily discounted. Um, you just have to seek it out. Yes. It's your literal birthright. Hey! <laughs> but seriously, it is it is our literal birthright to be healthy and to make healthy babies. And again, it is so inherently political. We live in a context of globalized capitalism. So 
we have our work cut out for us. Yes, we do. And thank you for naming that support exists and medicine exists and there are ways. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for Kat. Having us. Thank you so much for your time and energy and all of the incredible work that you do. Once again, that was Ari Guajardo Johnson and Megan Chadwick speaking with me, one of your hosts for today's show, Kat Petru. I want to be sure to leave all of you with resources and ways to reach out to both of them. You can contact Megan Chadwick at meganachadwick at gmail.com. That's M-E-G-A-N-A-C-H-A-D-W-I-C-K at gmail.com. And you can find Ari on Instagram at birthbruja, which is B-R-U-J-A, or email her at arigjohnson at gmail.com, which is E-R-I dot G dot J-O-H-N-S-O-N at gmail.com. We will link to their contact information on our website. That's it for today's show. Thanks to webmistress Blue Morav and to Erica Bridgman at the controls. You can find links to all of today's guests as well as archive segments on the Women's Magazine blog, which is kpfawomensmag.blogspot.com. That's it for today's show. Thanks to Webmistress Blumarov and to Erica Bridgman at the controls. You can find links to all of today's guests as well as archive segments on our blog, kpfawomensmag.blogspot.com. If there's a story you want us to cover or a woman or gender-centered event you want us to announce, please email womensmagazine at kpfa.org. Get updates by joining our Facebook group, Listen to KPFA Women's Magazine. Don't forget to tune in Fridays at noon this month for special Women's History Month programming. And we couldn't have a show on Women's Magazine honoring Women's History Month without hearing from at least one of the hosts. Here's what Kate Raphael said about working in media. My name's Kate Raphael. I work on Women's Magazine, and I love doing radio because I love to listen to people talk about their lives and their work and what they're passionate about. And I especially love talking to women Often the women that I talk to have never been interviewed before. I love working with KPFA because I'm able to interview women who aren't well known. I don't have to only interview famous writers. I can interview writers who are new, who are self-published, but who are writing about things that I care about and they care about. I've gotten to talk to so many women who've been involved in every movement, the labor movement, the civil rights movement, the Chicano movement, the various LGBT movements, and they've had such amazing lives. And often no one's asked them about their experiences and they have such amazing wisdom to share. And often it's a great process of us learning together how incredible they are. Finally, we hear from a graduate of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, Sarah Blanco. Sarah says her love of music brought her to media, but her need to promote change keeps her here at KPFA. I am Sarah Blanco. I'm a grad apprentice at KPFA, and I'm one of the producers for La Onda Bajita de Radio Aslan. When I started in radio, it came about by total accident, which was later fueled by a selfish passion and love of vinyl records and punk rock. But then I started to learn more about the world and was surrounded by activists. So then radio became a little less about being a music snob and it became more about sending a message. All the while, broadcasting messages on the radio was secretly, for me, acting like a giant suture. So now I'm here at KPFA, learning from fellow programmers, from guests, and from you, the listeners. I learn more every week about the power of our voices and the healing beauty that's public radio. So I can't rest, we can't rest, when there are still many messages to both send and to receive. 
You've been listening to We Rise here on 89.3 FM KPFB. That was a rebroadcast from KPFA's Women's Magazine featuring me, your host, Kat Petru, along with Teresa Adams. Thanks again to the women of Women's Magazine for inviting us to guest produce that show. You can reach us here at We Rise at danceisrevolutionary at gmail.com and you can find this show as well as others archived at mixcloud.com backslash we rise radio please do reach out if you have ideas or want to collaborate on a show thank you so much for tuning in take care of one another celebrate women every day of the year and have a beautiful weekend <laughs>